are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Scripture reading this morning is from the first letter of John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and following. Yes, please stand for the reading of Scripture. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a kid growing up in Iowa in the 90s, a driver's license meant one thing. Freedom. Before we had smartphones in our pockets, the only way to go somewhere without your parents knowing, or to talk to people without your parents listening in, or to do things without your parents finding out, in other words, freedom, was a driver's license. And a car helped as well. At least I thought a driver's license meant freedom. What it actually meant was that now my parents could send me to run chores that were further than a bike ride away. Some of you experienced this. It was on one of these chores, running my brother to a a summer school program in Des Moines, that I got my first speeding ticket. I still remember it very clearly. I was cruising through Des Moines, going down this hill. I remember crossing a bridge. The windows were down in my 85 Mercury Cougar, had my arm out the window and the radio up, and I heard sirens and saw lights. In, uh, in my naivete, whatever, I had neglected to notice I was now in a school zone, and the 45 was now a 25, and so I was clocked doing 44 in a 25, and I was so ashamed. I don't really know why. It was kind of an overreaction now that I look back at it, but just felt awful, and I knew if my parents found out, they would blow a gasket and take away my freedom, take away the driver's license, and I wouldn't be able to do what I wanted anymore. But for two weeks, I sat on this, having all these conversations and the normal interactions of the day with my mom and with my dad, knowing that I was keeping something from them. And it just wore on me and wore on me until finally, after two weeks, I remember where my dad was in the garage, and I went to him and I said, Dad, I need to confess I got a speeding ticket, and he laughed and said, you lasted longer than I did at your age, and said, by the way, we got a letter from the DMV last week, so (laughs) we already knew. We were kind of wondering how long it was going to take before you would tell us. Now, I'm kind of glad that they didn't come to me with this letter and be like, so, were you going to confess? Because I actually learned something about 
not just confession, but about what it feels like to kind of hold in something like that. And what I learned was, well, it is impossible to hide the fact that you've done something wrong and at the same time maintain a normal and loving relationship with the people that that wrong thing affects. It's impossible to hide that you've done something wrong and still have a full and open and intimate relationship with the people that that wrong thing you did affects. I thought this driver's license meant freedom to go do whatever I want, and what it turned out to do was actually make me less free to have a real relationship with my parents. Because, as it turns out, they knew I'd done wrong. I knew I'd done wrong. And until I confessed and asked for forgiveness, our relationship was not what any of us wanted it to be. There was something between us that was destroying our fellowship in the family. This is what John is getting at. In his letter, especially in this first chapter, he is writing as a pastor, as communities of Jesus followers are beginning to gather together around the message and the teachings of Jesus. They're trying to practice Jesus's command, his great commandment to love one another. John, as the pastor to these communities, has to help them figure out what to do when they don't live up to the command, when they inevitably hurt and offend each other. It's made more difficult by some in the communities and the churches he's writing to have, who have taken a slightly different tack on it. Instead of acknowledging and admitting what they've done wrong and asking for forgiveness, they're trying to explain away why what they've done wrong actually isn't wrong or that people are overreacting and things like that. Rather than admit to their sin and ask for forgiveness, they'd convince themselves that they weren't actually in the wrong here. So John, in this letter, he tells the, the story, the message of the gospel, in a way that it's not, it's, he's not like Paul. He's not explaining in real technical detail what he means by the message and its implications. He's jumping right to the ethical implications, and he tells the message of the gospel in terms of how we live in light of it. After we believe, now how do we behave? So he tells the story, and we'll see this in verse 5 as soon as we jump in, but he tells the gospel message as God is light and says, okay, if God is light, then how do you live in light of that? What do you do with that? How does God is light affect our church community, our, our family? And what do you do when you find yourself walking in darkness? So this is what John's going to tackle. We're going to jump in and see what he has to say and pick it up in verse 5. Verse 5 is the central claim that governs everything that comes after it, all the way through chapter 2, verse 2. Verse 5 says, this is the message. Actually, the first four verses leading up to it is him saying, hey, there's a message. It's about the word of life. We've heard it. We've seen it. We're proclaiming it to you. We've seen it. We heard it. This is the message that we've heard from him, from Jesus, and we proclaim to you that God is light. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Now remember, John's not trying to define the gospel message. He's using metaphor to try to, uh, well, metaphor and word pictures to try to help us understand how we live in light of the gospel message. So when John says, God is light, 
he's picking up on a long history of metaphor, of talking about God as light and, and all of the different ways that that's been understood. At its biggest level, God is light is understood to mean that God reveals himself. Right? It's in the nature of light to shine. If light doesn't shine, it's not light. It's in the nature of God to reveal himself. If God doesn't reveal himself, he's not God the way that we understand him. So God is light because God reveals himself. And when light, this is the next layer in, when light shines on something, you're able to see that thing for what it really is. So imagine a darkened room. You don't know what's in the room. You don't know if there's monsters under the bed. You don't know if there's furniture in the room that you're going to run into or any of that. But then light shines. Now you can see what's really there. So light means God's self-revelation, but it also means truth. Light shows truth. So God is light. God reveals himself. God is truth. But, God, uh, but light also means righteousness. It means right living. Because now that you know what's in the room, you can navigate your way through it correctly without tripping over the couch or believing there's a monster under the bed or whatever it is. See, saying God is light is not trying to make a statement about what God is in his essence. It's making a statement about how God reveals himself, reveals truth to us, and so we can then walk in, live in that truth, walk in that light. That's the theme that John reiterates throughout his letter, because the fact that light exists isn't the main idea, and even the fact that with light we can see clearly is still not the main idea. The point is, when light shines on something and we can see it, now we can walk rightly. So God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. So what does that mean for how I live? in a church community? Well, to answer that question, to explain what he means by God is light, John is going to set up three wrong ways to think about it. Here's what I don't mean, because if you think that, then here's what actually happens. So on the other hand, here's what you should believe. Here's how God is light really works itself out in our community. We're going to jump through these one at a time in verse 6, verse 8, and then in verse 10. And if you look at the first couple words of each of those verses, you'll notice they all start the same way with John setting up this false idea with, if we say, or if we claim to believe, and then he sets up the, the wrong idea in order to knock it down. Look, we'll start in verse 6, pick up with the first one. If we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie. Do not practice the truth. You see, God is light, so if we claim to have fellowship with him while we're walking in darkness, it doesn't go together. We lie. We're not telling the truth. We're not practicing the truth. Literally, John says, we're not doing the truth. Doing the truth is another theme that runs throughout John that we don't have time to dig into, so we're just going to set that one aside and focus instead on the word fellowship, because fellowship is a big word for John. It means something along the lines of a deep communion or intimate relationship with someone, united around a common, uh, common life, a shared life, even a shared mission or purpose of life. So John is saying in verse 6, you, you can't claim to have deep communion, an intimate relationship with the God who is light if you're actively walking in darkness. 
And, and walking has this sense of like habitually, continually, ongoing, you are walking in something other than light, right? Think of darkness. Darkness isn't actually a thing. It's the absence of light. So you're either, you're either walking in God's light or you're walking in the absence of God's light. And if you are saying, no, I have this close personal relationship with the one who is light, and yet I'm walking where there is no light, it's like, that doesn't go together. It'd be like going to a, uh, to a personal trainer who uh, is wildly out of shape, right? Or, or a physician uh, who continues to make poor health decisions for themselves, uh, and doesn't believe in medicine, or going to a, a, a relationship therapist who can't get along with their coworkers. You're like, okay, I know you say, but do you really understand because you're not doing what you say? Because what John is getting at here is that it doesn't matter if you say you have a close relationship with God. If you're walking in darkness, it doesn't matter what you say. You obviously don't know the light. So you've got a choice, he goes on to say. He gives an alternative in, in verse 7. But this is what he does with all three of these. He, he tells us, here's the wrong belief. Here's what that actually gets you. But here's what we should do. But if we walk in the light, as he, as God, is in the light, then we'll have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So you have two choices, walk in the light or walk in the absence of light, walk in the dark. Those are really your only two choices. If you're going to walk in the absence of light while claiming to have a relationship with the one who is light, obviously those two things don't go together. You're lying to yourself and to everyone around you. But you have the other choice of walking in the light, walking in the light of God's revelation of who he is, what is true, what reality really is understanding and identifying sin in yourself. Then John says, there's a consequence to that. Your fellowship is restored. Now, we might expect, we may have expected John to say, your fellowship with the one who is light is restored. But he kind of skips right over that uh, and assumes that, okay, yes, if you're confessing your sins, then now your fellowship with the one who is light is restored. But he focuses more on your, more towards your fellowship with one another is restored. Our fellowship, our deep communion within the community that is united around the message of Jesus, the word of Jesus, we cannot have deep communion and fellowship with one another unless we're willing to admit where we've done wrong and seek forgiveness from God and from one another for it. The alternative is to deny that we've done wrong, uh, to lie to ourselves about our wrongdoing, and we know what that does to communities. It does not bring them together. It only tears them apart. Verse 6, this first false belief is implying for us, informing us, you know, the some in John's churches were saying that sin didn't really affect their relationship with God or with one another. But verse 8 peels back the onion another layer and goes a little bit deeper. Verse 8, he introduces another wrong way of thinking about what it means that God is light and how we walk in that light. If we say we have no sin, well, then we deceive ourselves and, and the truth is not in us. 
Some in his community were claiming, like, I don't know what you're talking about, John. I don't even have sin, which is kind of an odd way to put it, right? I don't have any sin. Honey, we're out of sin. Could you pick some up? Next time you go out, it's like different, different readers kind of understand it in different ways. And, and some interpreters take it to mean that the people in John's churches were maybe claiming like, well, hey, once I came to Jesus, I just don't even have a sin nature anymore. Uh, so I, I could still sin, but I, I'm, I'm not really inclined to anymore. And others were perhaps saying that, you know, well, salvation is all about my spirit, not my body, and those two aren't really connected, so I can do whatever I want with my body, and it doesn't affect my relationship with God. But it's probably best to understand this verse uh, the same way John uses that phrase throughout his gospel, which is to say, uh, if some say, if we claim that we don't any longer bear the guilt of sin, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say, okay, maybe I sinned, but I'm not guilty of it, then we deceive ourselves, he says, and the truth isn't in us. Now, it's important to remember, it's true that we no longer bear the guilt of our sin before God. Jesus on his cross took our guilt, he took our sin, he took our shame, and he bore it himself and paid for it. It is over and done with and gone. But when I offend you or sin against you, there's guilt there between us because there's a debt, there's an offense, there's a betrayal. There's something between us that has to be dealt with that has to be reconciled. Jesus took the guilt ultimately before God, but when I sin against you, you're still hurt. And I can't just say, look, get over it. Jesus took all my guilt, so I don't understand why you're making a big deal out of my sin. Right, Jesus paid for it all, so I don't need to confess to anything, admit to anything, acknowledge I've done anything, or be repentant in any way, you need to forgive me because Jesus already has. That's not walking in the light. John says to walk in the light, he's trying to explain what he means by that, to walk in the light is to preserve fellowship with one another through confession. When we offend one another, when we fail to live up to Jesus' great commandment to love one another, that requires confession whenever something comes between us. But that's why he says in verse 9, look, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I know I'm talking about sins towards each other, and John's talking about confessing towards God. And these are connected because Jesus is the one who gave us the commandment, love one another. When we break that commandment, we are offending one another, but we're also no longer walking in the light. We're no longer doing the truth of the commandment that Jesus gave us. And so confession is required as we have hurt one another, so horizontally, but it's also required vertically to continue to walk in the light to practice walking in the light requires that when we take a step towards darkness, we recognize it, acknowledge it, confess it, and turn away from it, which always entails confession to the God who is light. But John wants to reassure us, this is not a destroying light. 
This is not a light that destroys. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just, and he will forgive our sins. Forgiveness, that's a canceling debt language. He will forgive our sins, and he will cleanse us. That's pollution stain removal language. He will remove, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A couple of nights ago, my daughter Anna and I with some friends walked to the, uh, the nearby neighborhood ice cream shop, which is a great thing and a horrible thing because you can convince yourself that if you walk there and eat the ice cream and walk back, it basically nets out, Right? It doesn't, but it's, 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 a, it's a helpful fiction. So we're walking there together, and um, she's 12, but she still likes holding my hand when we walk, and I'm totally not discouraging that. So we get all the way to the, uh, the ice cream shop, and before we're about to go in, she says, Daddy, you might want to wash your hands before you eat the ice cream. Why is that? She says, well, before we left, I scooped the cat litter, and I haven't washed my hands yet. <laughs> so I had two choices wash my hands, or go, it's probably fine. How does that one make you feel? No, because my hands, to use an old word for it, were defiled, right? They needed cleansing. The people in John's churches who were saying, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have sin. We don't do that sort of thing anymore. It's like they were going, eh, I'm probably fine. It's like, no, there's a problem there. And you need some cleansing. You need to come to Jesus for confession and to have your sins washed away. Remember, he's trying to help us understand what it means to walk in the light. And walking in the light, you don't prove you're walking in the light by how well you're able to say, I'm probably fine. Or by denying that you're in darkness. You walk in the light by recognizing sin, confessing sin, and coming to Jesus for forgiveness, and abandoning it, doing the truth. That's the first two. Some are complaining that, or claiming that their offenses toward one another don't affect their relationship with God, and others are claiming that they're forgiven and, uh, and guilt-free, so what they do doesn't matter. Uh, but there's a third level even deeper and worse, where some are claiming, in verse 10, that they've reached a place in their spiritual journey where, really... Um, Truth be told, I haven't really sinned in like a long time. Actually haven't committed any sins. Um, so if you think I did something wrong, that's really on you. You're the one who's misunderstanding this because I don't do that kind of thing. I don't, I don't sin, at least not like how you're talking about it. You can see how this is the worst uh, the worst of the three. The first two at least theoretically admitted to some sort of wrongdoing, even while trying to explain it away. But this third category of folks is, is they won't even admit that they've done anything, which puts them in a worse spot. You can see it in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, if we make a definitive statement that, yeah, since, I don't know, I reached this point of spiritual enlightenment or since I came to Jesus or whatever, since then I have not sinned. I haven't committed a single sin. Well, then that makes God a liar. And his word's not really in us. This is the group that's furthest from the truth. That first group might be telling a deliberate lie. I'm not walking in darkness. My eyes have gotten used to it. Plenty light. 
Others may have, uh, the second group may have simply deluded themselves. You know, I can sin without any consequences to my relationships with other people or with God, but this, this third group is lying and deceived, and the only way what they're saying could possibly be true is if God is lying. But it's not a good position to be in with your beliefs. And they're making a mockery, too, of Jesus' own teachings. See, throughout this letter, John is developing the theme of walking in the light. And he develops it by equating it with Jesus' commandments. We don't have time to look at, at every single verse, so we'll just leave it there. But he understands throughout this letter and explains for us, he understands Jesus' highest commandment to be that famous statement in John 13, verse 34, 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you, you know it, love one another. I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. In the same way, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. He goes on to say, by this, all people will know that you follow me, that you're my disciples, because you have love for one another. See, over and over in this letter, John, well, even in the gospel, John ties these two themes together. The one who loves is the one who walks in the light. The one who walks in the light is one who will love. The one who does the truth is the one who walks in the light. They're just all bound together like a, a rope, uh, all woven together. So in this last one in verse 10, he says, but if we claim that we've reached an enlightened state where our actions are never sinful, when clearly we've hurt other people, then it's impossible for us to maintain fellowship within the community or within the family. So we're not loving one another if we're denying that we've hurt someone else. Of course I didn't hurt you. I don't sin. That's not helpful. We're not loving one another if we claim that we alone are righteous and everyone else is in the wrong. No, you all just don't understand me. We're not loving one another. Instead, we're walking in darkness. We're destroying fellowship. We're proving that we don't know God as we claim we do and proving that his word, his commandment, love one another, uh, it's not really in us. If his word were in us, we'd not only know it, we'd show it. This is what John develops throughout the letter. Now, I'm guessing most of us in here would not publicly claim to agree with any of these three false ways of understanding what it means that God is light. Uh, I don't know if any of us here have claimed to reach a state of moral enlightenment where, hey, I just don't sin anymore. It's great. Not too many of us are, are willing to say that our sin doesn't really affect our relationship with God or with one another anymore, and I'm fairly sure that our, no one would say our relationship with God isn't affected by our willful disobedience of him. But we live in a culture that tells us you got to hide your imperfections, polish your brand, that to admit mistake is to admit weakness right? When was the last time you saw a public person confess to something they hadn't yet been caught for? When was the last time you did? When was the last time I did? The commandment to love one another 
is Jesus' greatest command. And his followers of Jesus, I mean, he's the one who said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we're called to love one another. If we're trying to explain away the way we've hurt one another so that we don't feel bad about what we've done or we don't want to admit to what we've done, we're not loving each other. We're not walking in the light and we're destroying the fellowship of the community. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He didn't say then my followers should walk in darkness, but walk in the light. In a few moments after I pray, we're going to take communion together. We're going to take communion together because what John is working out here for us is not designed for us to use against someone else who's hurt us. John is not writing this all out so we can go, oh, great, now I know exactly what to say to that person who hurt me. You say you're walking in the light. It's actually darkness. Now, confess. John is working this out here for us to use it on ourselves, to come to terms with our own darkness, to confess our own sin, and to find forgiveness in Jesus. So let's pray 